Now today, we're going to wrap up our series called Swipe Left. We've been talking about everything love and dating and romance and ultimately marriage for the last few weeks. And our primary focus has been on those in our community who are single. If you're single, if you are just getting started in life, if you're with somebody, dating someone, if you're engaged, technically you're kinda still single. You haven't said I do yet, right? Maybe you're divorced, maybe you're widowed. We have, we have people in all different places in life in our church. And to be honest, I think sometimes in communities like this, when you're single, I, I think sometimes single people can feel a little bit left out. I think sometimes our world and our society and our culture is kind of more geared toward families and, and, and married folks and things like that. And when you're single, let's be honest, sometimes the hardest part about being single is simply, I don't know, being single. It, it's, it's going out with a group of people and everybody else has someone and you're like the fifth wheel and it doesn't feel good, right? And, and being single can sometimes be difficult. It's challenging. But I also think there's some beautiful parts to being single. And, and so what we wanted to do was spend most of our time talking about dating and the challenge of dating in our world today. How do we find that one? That's what we've been talking about. If you miss any of the past three weeks, I wanna encourage you to go back and watch them. Maybe if you're single, go back and rewatch all of them in order. They kind of, kind of work for this whole flow and lead us all the way up to the wedding chapel. And today what I wanna do for the last week is I want to turn our attention toward marriage. I, I want to turn our attention toward what happens after you kind of been with this person, you finally feel like they're the one, and you go through all the process we talked about last week, and then finally you're going to get married, and you're going to spend the rest of your life with them. I, I want to talk about that because here's what I know. In the mind of every person who's single, you often think about the process of being single, and let's be honest, the putting yourself out there and maybe trying dates and then it doesn't work and getting rejected can be so hard, which is why dating apps and just being able to swipe has kind of made it a little bit easier. But the search for the one, let's be honest, if you're single and if you're married, I want you to go back in your mind to maybe when you were single and dating, the search for the one is hard. It's hard work. It's challenging. It's difficult, which is probably why when you do find the one, the one you're going to marry, right? That's why when you finally realize, I think they're the one, it's almost like getting the winning lotto ticket. It's like getting the winning lotto. Here, here's what it's like. It's kind of like when you go out with somebody, you get a lottery ticket. When things go really well on the first couple dates and things are great, you know, it's like the little ball drops into the machine and you flip it around and you got a match. You got one number, it's working, right? That's what you do. Then you keep going, you keep dating and after you kind of meet the family, hey, that went really, got another number, you keep going, you work through some fights and some challenges and you kind of came through. What do you got? I got another number and you keep going on in this process and then all of a sudden one day, one day you just wake up and it just hits you. One day you wake up and you're like, I think He's the one. I want to spend the rest of my life with her. I think they're the one. And that's the day you wake up and realize, I got the winning ticket. That this person is the Powerball winner. Listen, some of you, can I just help you? Some of you are married. Some of you have been married so long, you've forgotten what it was like 
when you first remembered or realized that they were the one and you didn't realize that they were your Powerball ticket. If you're sitting next to your spouse, turn and look at them and go, baby, you're my Powerball ticket. Tell them. Look at them and say, I struck gold when I found you. Because sometimes, listen, we forget, and, and I'm saying this in jest, but also to help us remember something that is so easy to forget, which is that, that our spouse, finding a spouse is like finding something of incredible value. It's not that easy. Finding someone, I mean, yeah, you could go find anybody, but finding the one, the match for your soul, the person that you spend the rest of your life with, it's not so easy. And so when you do, it's like you found something of great worth. Now, I didn't come up with that analogy. The Bible does. And I, in fact, I want to read to you this one verse from Proverbs 18, 22. It's an incredible verse. We're going to be in the New Testament today, but we're going to start with this one verse. We're going to start one verse in the Old Testament. We're going to hit one verse in the New Testament. That's it. Proverbs 18, 22. I love this picture. And maybe men, I want you to pay attention to this because this will be a great reminder, especially if you're married. Proverbs 18, 22 says this. The man who finds a wife finds a what? Say it out loud. Finds a the man who finds a wife finds a treasure and he receives favor from the Lord. Now here's what I want to point out. You've got to find the wife first. Like, I, I know we understand the narrative in Genesis and it was like God brought Eve to Adam. Great for Adam. That's not how it works for the rest of us. Okay, God gave Eve to Adam. You gotta find your person. You've gotta search for your person. You've gotta dig in the dating dirt to find the person. It's dirty. It's, I mean, that's what you have to do. I remember when I was growing up, my brother, he saved up a bunch of money to buy one of those metal detectors. And so when we went to the beach, he took this metal detector and he would spend hours out on the beach and he would just go around and it's like beep, beep. Beep. You ever do this? This is so dumb. Beep, like you're gonna find something in the beach, right? People, beep, right? And then every once in a while, beep, 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 And then we would start digging with our hands in the sand eventually to pull out an old Coke can. Like this is junk. And then we keep searching and you're, beep, beep. Can I tell you what dating's like? Dating's like, beep, beep. Beep, 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 hey, beep, 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 beep. You know? <laughs> but then you gotta dig, right? It's not just finding it. You gotta dig in the dirt and, and you gotta do something. You gotta work at it. You gotta discover whether or not they are the treasure. But here's what Proverbs 18 says, that a man who finds a wife finds a treasure and receives favor from the Lord. In fact, this analogy just continues in Proverbs. It says that uh, an excellent wife is like a crown on her husband's head. In other words, ladies, you make him look good. That's what, that's what it means. An excellent wife. Or here's another one, and I don't know if this is meant to be a compliment. It almost kind of sounds like one of those backhanded compliments. In Proverbs 31, it says, it says, a wife of noble character is hard to find. That seems terrible. It's like, man, if you can find a girl who's got a good heart, woo, that's hard to find. But it says, if you find her, that she is worth far more than rubies. 
What, what I'm saying is to find a wife is to find a treasure. Now, I like to think that because I know the Bible was written in kind of an ancient, and let's just be honest, a misogynistic, and men kind of dominated the, the narrative. I, I like to kind of think that today we could take that and we would also flip it. I kind of like to think some of us guys are a little bit like a treasure. Not just you ladies. Come on, any ladies got a treasure with you? I like to think us guys can be, how about, I wish we could have Proverbs 32. I think we're one chapter short. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, we could say the same thing. A man of noble character is hard to find, amen. But when you do, he's worth more than gold, right? Like, like I, I think it goes both ways. The, the, the perspective is that when you receive a spouse you, it's like finding treasure. It's receiving favor from God because this whole design of relationships and marriage comes from God. That marriage is a gift from God. It's like finding treasure. Now I wanna take our attention to the New Testament because I wanna show you something that God just, just blew up in my mind about a month and a half ago. Jesus shares a parable of a treasure in Matthew chapter 13, in one simple verse. He, he gives us this parable of finding buried treasure. Now, if, if you wanna understand a parable, you gotta know that a parable is not like something that really happened. We're gonna hear and read this one verse, this one story in a verse, in a sentence. But what you need to know is that it tells a very real truth, and Jesus often spoke in parables. And he talks about this parable of finding a buried treasure. Now, let me, let me just say this, okay, because I am going to take this parable and I am going to use it, and I'm going to compare it to, to something that it was intended to be. I'm going to take a little bit of liberty with it, but you're going to see the perspective when I bring it back. Because the ultimate goal of this parable was to help us understand what it's like when we discover Christ. When we find him, when we realize who he is, that's, what, that's the goal of the parable. I'm gonna show you this, okay? But what you need to understand is that all throughout scripture, the Bible takes and it relates and it creates this parallel between marriage and our relationship with God. It's all throughout the Bible, okay? There's this picture that our relationship, and so what we can discover is the things that we wanna discover about God and our relationship with him that on earth, I would go so far as to say that God maybe gave us marriage so that we had an earthly perspective, an earthly construct of understanding what it's like to have a relationship with him. You see it all through the Bible. In the Old Testament, there's marriage language all throughout. You see that God tells the Israelite nation, I've chosen you. Don't worship any other gods because I'm, I'm like a jealous boyfriend. No, I'm a jealous husband. He says, I'm a jealous God, right? You've got the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs. You ever read those? You ever wondered why they're in the Bible? I mean, it's all about romance and the love between a husband and a woman. Most people believe it was left in there because it actually paints this, this picture of understanding the way we can have an affection for God. And when God speaks of relationship with his people, the thing that offends him the most, he relates to adultery, turning away and worshiping other gods. He calls it adultery. 
Like there, he sees it like a marriage. And then the New Testament, it just continues on and on where you see that it talks about there's a wedding feast of the lamb, a marriage supper of the lamb in Revelation. It says that we are the bride, the church is the bride of Christ, that he is the bridegroom, that there's this relationship. And so when we look at all that together, what, I, what I'm setting you up to understand is that when we look at this analogy, when we look at this parable that is meant for us in our relationship with God, there is a beautiful parallel and something that we can mine out of the ground for marriage. God showed me something fascinating with this passage. I've never seen it before. Matthew chapter 13, it's one verse. It's a story in one verse. Matthew 13, verse 44, it says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a what? Everybody say that word. It's like a? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned to get enough money to do what? What did he do? He to buy the field. He sold all that he had so that he could buy the field. Now, since this is a parable, since this is kind of like it's an analogy, we can skip right over the obvious questions that we would ask. See, I, I have all these questions like, wait a minute, Jesus, like, so whose field is this guy digging in, trespassing on their property so that he could find buried treasure? These are the kind of questions I ask when I read these things. Did he have like a map? How did he know where the buried treasure was? Why is he trespassing someone's field? We can skip all that. It's not important. Not important to the, to the, the truth. Right? What was this parable about? This parable is really, I believe, ultimately about us discovering God. It's us discovering who Jesus is. When we realize what he offers us, when we realize all that we can experience with God, it's like finding treasure. I don't know if any of you feel that way about God, but maybe I could remind some of us that have been following Jesus what it was like when we first experienced God's love. Do you remember the moment when you had an encounter with God where maybe you felt his presence for the first time and you were like, I didn't know what to believe, but faith exploded inside of you and you just felt God's forgiveness and you felt God's mercy wash over you and you felt the love of God and you'd never felt anything like that before. See, this is what it's analogous to, it's, it's like finding treasure. If you're a Christ follower, can I just say, I, I hope and I pray that that's our experience. That's, our, that's what we have in Christ. Now, let's be honest. The longer it goes, the, the newness of that wears off. We're going to talk about that. But if Christianity to you is nothing more than a get-out-of-jail-free card, if the whole reason why you're here is because you hope that if you die, you know, I want to get into the after party and not go to the bad place if there is a bad place, can I, can I just tell you, you're missing the essence, you're missing the joy, you're missing the excitement of selling out everything you have to buy that field. You're missing it. You're missing it. No wonder it's so laborious. No wonder it's so hard to come to church. No wonder it's so hard. It's because you haven't found the joy and the excitement of having a real relationship with the God who created you. And when you experience that, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And maybe, just maybe, one of the best ways that God has given us here on earth to understand this truth is marriage. What if marriage is given to us not just because we're lonely, not just because you know, we, we, we miss out on life if we don't have a partner to share, all those things are true, but what if, what if God gave us marriage here on earth 
so that we could actually understand that dynamic with him. And, and I wanted you to understand this when it comes to, to marriage because I, I think sometimes in marriage we, we think it's all about the treasure, the girl, the guy, right? It's the treasure. That, that marriage is, is finding the treasure. I want to bring that analogy back, Proverbs 18, 22. A man who finds a wife finds treasure and receives favor from the Lord. And sometimes, here's what we do. We think that marriage is finding buried treasure. Can I give you a new truth, a new way to look at it? This is something that God just showed me, and I was like, I wasn't looking for it. And it just it brought something so real to life in understanding marriage, and it's this truth. Marriage isn't finding a treasure, it's buying a field. You're gonna have to sit on that for a moment. Because some of you are like, no, 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 I thought Proverbs 18, 22 said that she was a treasure, she was a gem, she was a diamond. She was a, I thought it said, listen, marriage isn't finding a treasure, it's buying a field. See, if you think that this person is the treasure, if you think that the person is like perfect in every way, if you kind of just idolize them like the treasure, you are missing the whole essence of what Proverbs says, and you'll miss this application of this parable. Marrying the person is not like finding buried treasure. It's more like buying a field. Here's what I know about treasures, all treasures, and that is over time, treasures lose their luster. I don't care how amazing it was. Think about the things that you treasure in life. Think about the, the things that at one point were like the most valuable thing to you. How about this? You ever buy a new house? New to you? You ever meet someone who buys a new house and they're so excited they're getting to buy their dream home? You ever got a chance to buy your dream home, build your dream home, right? When you're around somebody that gets a house for the first time, their dream home, they won't stop talking about it. They won't shut up about it. They just go on and on about, oh my gosh, we got the most amazing house. It's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. You should see the basement. The basement's got this amazing rec center for the kids. And we got upstairs and it's got like nine foot floor ceilings. And, and it, it has the most beautiful walkout area. And it's just like, oh my gosh, it is the perfect house. And I love this house. And I'm just like, you know what? Go back and talk to that person in two years. And you know what they'll do? They'll tell you about how the temperature is never the same. Upstairs, it's so hot all the time upstairs, and it just doesn't work. Have you ever noticed that the water pressure is so weak, it just doesn't even clean stuff? Our dishwasher doesn't work that well. The windows are really drafty all the time, and they will find something to complain about because here's what we understand about treasures. Eventually, treasures lose their luster. You buy a new car, it's the greatest thing ever. Eight months in, it's just, oh, I like my car, it's nice. Three years later, it's a piece of junk. I need a new one. I don't care if it's a new car, I don't care if it's a new house, I don't care if it's a dream job, I don't care if it's a relationship. Isn't it interesting how when we, we start dating someone and everything's great, how we treasure them the most, we'll drop anything to take a phone call from them. I don't care, work, whatever. We'll do whatever because they're our treasure. And then all of a sudden, give it a couple of years, and, and, and they don't, I don't know, it doesn't feel like a treasure. One day, you, you wake up, and the person that you married that you thought was a treasure kind of doesn't feel like a treasure anymore. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, the morning breath. I was not expecting that. Or... You're my treasure. Or, you know what, I mean, it's anything. There's tension. I have a few fights, and all of a sudden, the treasure loses its luster, right? 
argue over your finances. You got the dream home, that's great, but now you're struggling to pay for it. Now, now you got all this tension, you got all this fighting, and next thing you know that the person you thought was a treasure, you know, the wedding and the honeymoon, and it was great, and you were just eternal bliss. All of a sudden, one day you wake up, and you're like, ah, I don't know, it's lost its luster a little bit. It's because you didn't realize you were, when you got married, you were actually buying a field. You bought a field. See, there's something about this picture, this analogy in our relationship, I think not just with God, but I think in marriage would help us understand something. What does it take to buy a field? Buying a field was a contract. Buying a field was a covenant. Buying a field, right, what'd you have to do? You, you had to, I mean, sell everything you had, go all in and buy this field. It, it's a piece of dirt, but I had to buy this field because I wanted the treasure. And I think if you think about marriage, what is marriage? Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is, is not about the treasure, it's about the field. What is marriage? Marriage is, is saying, I do. It's marriage is an agreement between two people when they finally commit for the rest. It's like, it's a contract, it's a covenant. This is what marriage is. And if you wanna understand what the value of the treasure was in the field, you gotta look at the price someone paid for it. The one thing we don't get in this real little parable is how much money the guy spent on the field. All we know is that he had to sell everything he had to buy that field. And that is, listen, not just a picture of what it means to go all in with Jesus, but can I just tell you, it's also kind of a picture of what marriage looks like. What is marriage? It is selling out all my options. It's selling, it's like, I, I will forsake all others. It's giving up my own hopes, dreams, wishes, so that together we can build something. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, all my, I'm gonna forsake all my others so that I can say I do to you and say, what is the value of the treasure? I would argue that you have to look at the price of the field. Now, how do you figure the value of the field? Well, the value of the field in, in these days when Jesus was talking was determined not by what we think when we think of determining the price of a field today. I know it's a little weird, just stick with me because I'm gonna bring it all together and I hope that it actually begins to illuminate some things about marriage. What's the value of a field? Well, in ancient Israel, the value of the field was determined by something in the ground. Let me read this verse to you. Leviticus 25, 15. This was... God giving Moses the law to give to the Israelites about how they were to operate together. In Leviticus 25, 15, it says this. If you want to buy your neighbor's land, count the number of years since the last jubilee. And some of you are going, what in the world is a jubilee? I'll, I'll mention that in a moment. It says, and use that number to decide the right price. If your neighbor sells the land to you, count the number of years left for harvesting what? Say that out loud for harvesting crops, and use that number to decide the right price. Now, the way you determined the price of a field, the value of a field, was not the things we would use today. We would say, hey, how much is this property worth? We would say, well, what's its location? Location, location. It's all about the location and the proximity to things. Has this got a beautiful view? What are the things that we would say? Is it perfect for building on? What is it? All the things that we would say makes a piece of property valuable today is not what they looked at. What they looked at back then was what you could draw out of the field. It was the number of crops you could harvest 
until the Jubilee. Now, if you're kind of saying, what in the world's a Jubilee? The Jubilee was something in ancient Israel, it was a marker that after 49 years, that on the 50th year, they would have to take land contracts and give it back to the original owner of the property. And here's why. There was a unique application because when they went to the promised land, God gave each tribe a specific piece of property. And so what they could do is they could sell their property. But what they were really selling the property for was the number of years they could harvest crops. So listen, the value of a field is determined by what is produced out of it. If that doesn't describe marriage, I don't know what does. The value of a marriage is not based on the treasure, the person, him, oh, he was so, oh, he's just kind, and he works hard, and he's got a great job, and he's so cute. The value of your marriage is not based on how sexy she is, and how, oh, she just, I love her personality, and her laugh is so cute, and that's not, it's not based on those things. The value of a marriage is based on what you can draw out, produce, harvest from the field that is called your marriage. I want you to see this because I think the danger is, especially if you're single, the danger is that you can think that when I finally get to the wedding chapel that I have reached the pinnacle, that, that I have finally gotten to, this is like the search is over, the hard work is done, that I and I, I'm here to tell you as somebody who's been married for quite a few years, and those who are married would tell you that, that you're missing the whole perspective of marriage. I'm not talking about the wedding. I'm talking about the marriage. Listen to me today. Marriage is about working your field. Some of you that are married maybe need reminded of this. Marriage is about working your field. It's the investment that you make into your field. The work does not end when you get married. I know those of you who are single are like, oh, you don't know. I've been searching it so hard. It's so challenging. It's so difficult. It's so painful. I gotta deal with it. I've got bad news for you. The work does not end when you get married. The work continues on. And by the way, the reason why you hear so much today about people having extramarital affairs, about people going outside of their marriage and their field, is because they say things like, but the grass looked greener over there. And the whole reason why the grass looks greener over there is because you're not actually working your own field. The reason why that person seems so tempting is because you've neglected your own field. What? I, I just thought I get married to the treasure. The treasure, the luster of the treasure will wear off. I promise you. The real value in a marriage comes from what you produce out of it. It's what you work in it. It's working the field. Now I want to give you just real quickly a few thoughts about working your field today. And if you're married... This is, this, is, this is just gold for you. But if you're single, what I need you to hear today is this idea that we so often think that when I finally get married, it's like I reached the summit of singleness and now I got married. But what you don't realize is you just moved to a bigger mountain. It's, it's like 
you got up one mountain only to realize that the K2 is right there in front of you. And now you got to climb that one, okay? And so what I want you to understand, and if you're married, maybe we need reminded of this. What do I get out of my marriage? Well, you, well it's your field. It's you bought the field. Well, I wanted the treasure. I know. I know. But you bought the field. Marriage is the field. It's buying the field. Let me give you three thoughts, and they're real easy. They're real simple. The first one is this. Work the ground. You got to work the ground. If anybody here has ever planted a garden, you, you ever want to harvest something out of a ground, you know that the ground is hard, that you have to work the ground before you can even do anything with it. The fallow, uncultivated soil that is in your marriage, you have got to work the ground. And let me just tell you something. The first few years of your marriage is going to feel like hard work. I didn't say the first few months. First few months will feel like heaven. It's the first few years that is gonna be the hard work. You have to work the ground. You've gotta turn it upside down. You've gotta get your hands dirty. You're gonna have to plow through some stuff. What am I saying? I'm saying you're gonna have to do the hard work of learning what it's like to live and share life with someone, and it is hard work. You're gonna have to do the hard work of communication. Do you know it's a lot easier just to fight than it is to communicate? That's why we do it. It's the default. It's easy just to blow up. It's easy just to think I'm right. It's easy just to, the hard thing to do is to have a conversation. The hard thing to do is admit you're wrong. The hard thing to do is to communicate. The hardest part of a relationship is the, it's the hard work that you have to do. It's working through the differences you have with someone. It's working through the bad habits that you brought into it and that they brought into it and has created fireworks, okay? It's working through sinful attitudes. It's working the ground. If you want your marriage to be successful, get ready to work. Grab a shovel, grab a pick, grab something, and you go to work. I think one of the reasons why so many people bail on marriage early is because they didn't realize they were signing up to work. I thought it was just, I don't know, dating was so awesome and engaged was so great. The wedding was amazing. I just figured I'm going to get to spend all my extra time with my best friend in marriage. And yes, you will. Yes, you will. And that's going to be part of the problem. Yes, you will. I'm just, I'm just trying to help I'm trying to set some expectations for those of you who are single, but I'm also trying to speak to all of us who are married to stop working in our marriage. We, we stop working on ourself. Guess what happens when you stop working on yourself? Your ground gets hard, your heart gets hard. And we wonder why nothing takes and nothing good comes out of it. The first step is you gotta work the ground. The second thing is you gotta plant the seed. This is like farming 101. You gotta plant the seed. In other words, if you want something out of your marriage, you have to put something into it. I know some of you are like, yeah, but she married a treasure. <laughs> I get you feel that way. I know my wife does, right, honey? I mean, I... No, she bought a field. She bought a field. You have to put something in the ground to get something out of it. You have to invest something in it 
if you want to make withdrawals from it. It's a simple principle. It's a principle we all understand in life naturally. But scripture tells us in Galatians 6 verse 7, it says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. In other words, there's no way around this system. A man reaps what he what? A woman reaps what she sows. In other words, there's a system. You can't get around it. This is something that God put in place. Whatever you sow, that's what you can expect to reap. What does that mean? Well, here's what that means. It means you, you sow anger, you're gonna reap animosity. I, I mean, it, just, it doesn't matter. what You reap, you're gonna get something back, right? You reap fighting. You're gonna, you're gonna, I mean, you sow fighting, you're gonna reap disunity, right? It doesn't matter. You sow negativity, what are you gonna reap? A critical spirit. Now, here's the good news, though. You can also flip that around, and you can sow some good seed into the soil of your marriage. You can, you can sow in their love and kindness, and you can reap connection and intimacy. You can sow time, and you can get from that connection. Listen, you can sow acts of kindness. You can sow things of, of just like, I want to do simple things for you, and I want to show you my love. And you can reap all kinds of things from that. You can reap romance from that. What you put into it will determine what you get out of it. And here's what I found, even in marriage, and I want you to know this, small investments can pay big dividends. I think sometimes we're like, oh, I just, I just don't, I don't think I can do enough, and I just, I don't know that I can, you know, make her happy, and I don't know that. Listen, small investments, all you need are some small investments can pay big dividends. Something I, I started doing probably about a year or a year and a half ago, I, I found out that my, uh, my lovely wife, she, she loves getting Starbucks every once in a while, but she hates to buy Starbucks. Any of you feel like that? It's like she loves Starbucks, she hates to buy it, right? She always, I don't know if any of you feel like that. She feels guilty every time. It's like, well, buying a $6 drink, $7 drink, you know, but she loves Starbucks. So I started something just randomly. One Friday, I went to the gym while she was sleeping. It was my day off, and I went to Starbucks, and I got her a favorite drink, and I brought it home. She was so appreciative. I was like, thank you so much. She loved it so much. I just kept doing it. And so literally for the last probably, what, year and a half, every single week pretty much, almost without skipping, I will go and buy her a Starbucks. And I think she loves it because it's guilt-free. I didn't pay for it. I don't feel bad taking out of our account. You gave it to me. And listen, here's what I, I know. Here's what I could see. That, that small, all I did was I pre-ordered it and I went and picked it up. I did not sit in the line because that is not worth it. But I did go. <laughs> I, I love you, but I... You ask her, we do not, I do not do well with Starbucks line. But I found out I can pre-order it, I can park, walk in, pick it up, and that's the way, that's the way I do it, and, and take it back. But you know what I found was that small investment actually made a big difference to her. It's so small, but it showed her that I really cared about her. She knows how much I hate Starbucks. I don't drink coffee. I don't ever buy myself anything at Starbucks. But if I would take the time and go to Starbucks to get her something, it means a lot to her. Small, I, I just want to hear this. Small investments can pay big dividends, but you have to sow the seed. You, you sow kindness, you can reap peace. What, what you sow into your marriage will determine what you get out of it. When there's nothing but anger and animosity and fighting, I would argue, and I'm not saying who's, because everybody, we all share in this, I would argue that some seeds have been sown that are now being reaped in that marriage. And here's the good news, you could fix that, but you're gonna have to plant some more seeds. And it's gonna take seasons, it's gonna take some time. 
And so you gotta work the ground, you gotta plant the seeds, and then listen, you also have to pull the weeds. That's the third one, pull the weeds. Here's what I know as somebody who takes care of the outside of our house mostly. I do the mowing, I do all this stuff. I've said this before, I don't know how they got there, but I have weeds in my yard and I didn't plant them. I don't know how they get there. I really don't. But here's what I've discovered. Weeds will show up in your marriage just like they show up in your yard even if you don't do anything to plant them. They show up. And one of the reasons why I know they'll show up in your marriage is because you have a spiritual enemy that loves to come in and sow discord who loves to come in and wants to drive a wedge between you and your spouse, that wants to get you thinking all kinds of things about them that they don't even intend to to mean towards you. Okay, I, I know this, weeds just show up. Weeds will show up in your relationship even if you did not invest anything in them. Let, let, let me give you a better picture of what this looks like, okay? There are roots of bitterness that we carry into our marriage that may have nothing to do with our spouse. We come from dysfunction in our families that we carry that dysfunction into our marriage that may have, done, may have had nothing to do with your relationship with your spouse. And listen, if you do not address the weeds, or shall I say address the wounds, if you don't address the wounds of your fights in your relationship, if you don't address those things, they will develop roots and they will grow into your grass. They'll grow into your field. And guess what happens if you get enough weeds and thistles in your field? It will choke out anything that it's trying to be produced in your field. And so you have to understand, you've got to pull the weeds. You have to, you, you don't just sit on them but you have to go and deal with them. You gotta deal with the wounds. You gotta deal with the dysfunction. You gotta deal with the chaos. You gotta deal with the fights. You've gotta deal with the past, your own past. And if you don't deal with those things, then the weeds are gonna choke out any kind of life in your marriage. In fact, it's not the big things. This happened to me. You know what the Bible tells us? It's the small things that get left undone that can cause the biggest disaster. That's what we're talking about. I love this passage in Song of Solomon, verse, uh, chapter two, verse 15. It says, catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they do what to the vineyard of love? Say it out loud, before they, catch all the little foxes before they ruin the vineyard of love for the grapevines are blossoming. What, what does that mean? It means that if you don't address the little things, the little vermin, the little issues that wanna dig holes in your field, the little traps in your relationship, if you don't address that, it will ruin the entire vineyard. What, what I'm trying to say today is real simple. This is, this is my hope. If you're single, if you're married, I feel like this message applies equally in different ways though to all of us. Marriage is, is not just about getting a treasure. I know Proverbs 18, 22, whoever finds a wife finds a treasure, receives faith from the Lord. Yes, yes. But marriage is buying the field. And if you want a marriage that lasts, 
that's full of joy, that's full of love. If you want a marriage that is like taking your dating relationship and carrying it on to grow, to, to, if you want that, listen, if you want that, you have to work your field. It's work. It takes work. There's not a lot of people are going to, romance, it just kind of feels like it just happens and it just feels like you fall into love with someone and it's just beautiful and you just want to spend the rest of your life. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, someone who's been married for 26 years, that you have to work your field. You get out of it what you put into it. And marriage is a gift from God. So when I think about what Jesus said, I saw this beautiful picture, this analogy of marriage in this one. But I also want to remind us that the whole point of marriage is to reflect the kind of relationship that God wants to have with each of us. Do you know God wants you to, even in moments like this, to be filled with so much joy and excitement over his love and his grace, over, over discovering his forgiveness and his mercy. Do you know he wants you, that you would literally go sell everything you have and you would say, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'll buy the field because I want you, Jesus. That, that's what I believe marriage at the end of the day is supposed to reflect. And it's supposed to point us to relationship with Jesus. So I, I don't know about you, but my challenge to all of us at the end is, is twofold. One in relationship is work the field. Work the field. Marriage, married people, work your field. Work the ground. Plant the seeds, pull the weeds. Maybe some of you, it'd be great to have a conversation about those things today. Where are we working the ground? Where are we not working the ground in our relationship? Let's work on it. Let's make it all that we want it to be. But then the second thing is this. Do you have that kind of relationship with Jesus? The kind that's so full of joy and excitement that he is your greatest treasure? that he is the one that you desire more than anything else in this world, that you will sell out everything else to get the field so that you can have him. Because when you do that and you experience him in that way, I'm telling you, it's like fireworks go off inside of you. It's like going back. You know, the Bible says that we can leave our first love. In Revelation, it says, God wants to be our first and only love in that regard. And I pray today, maybe, maybe for some of you, it's time to say yes to him. Would you all just stand to your feet? I want to close with prayers. We close out this series. I want to take a moment and I want to pray specifically over some groups of people in our community today. I want to pray over those who are single. This series has been in many ways directed toward those of you who are single because number one, we care about you. And number two, I believe that God cares about you and he cares about your journey and he wants you and he made you to find companionship and to find love. And so I, I, I hope you have and find all of that. Secondly, I wanna, I wanna pray over all of those who are married because here's what I know. Some of you are here today and for whatever reason, maybe there's some weeds in your marriage. Maybe there's some areas that just look like dry ground that there's nothing been planted in it. Maybe there's some things that you need to address. I wanna pray that God will give you the wisdom on how to, how to walk through that but I also wanna pray for all of us that maybe at the end of this series that God would do something in our heart that we would fall in love with him in the way that we've been talking about finding someone. Maybe we would fall in love with him that way again. So would you pray with me? Father, I, I just pray right now first for all those who are single in our community. God, as we wrap up this series, I, I pray for every person that Lord, as maybe younger, those who are older, 
Those who, Lord, are looking for a first relationship. Those, Lord, who have been divorced or widowed. I pray, God, for a grace for this season. That, Lord, there's something beautiful that you can do in this season of their life. I pray that, God, in this community, in finding the right person, the right kind of person, that, God, you would lead them to it. And though, God, we know that it's, it's hard to be single. God, I, I just pray for, Lord, your presence to be with them. I pray right now for those who feel lonely in our midst. As your word says in Isaiah 54, that, God, in many ways, you can be, the, my maker can be my husband. That, God, that we can find that kind of love and companionship with you even in this season of searching. And, Father, I pray for those who are married here today. Father, I pray for the marriages, God, where maybe our field feels a little bit neglected. And, God, I'm praying that right now your spirit, Lord, would speak to those who are married and give, Lord, give a the boldness and the courage that maybe we need to address some roots of bitterness. Maybe we need to address some dysfunction. Maybe we need to address maybe some wounds of the past. God, I pray that you would give a grace right now to every married couple. I pray, Lord, that you'd put your hand of favor on every married couple in this place, God. I pray that you would bless them, that we would see our spouse like a treasure, that, God, we would receive favor from you as we live out on this earth, Lord, the the relationship that resembles the kind of relationship that we're to have with you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.